I'd like to move around a little bit. Thank you and uh, a privilege to be here with you this evening. Uh, Mark, far too kind. I, I just want to clarify a little bit. The reason why I chose the bed with, with Richard is because Mark has so much love in his heart. I, I was a little nervous to get too close to him at night. I thought he can just, you know, keep that in over there. And I thought uh, Richie was a, a safer bet um, in that regard. But honestly, um, you, you guys have, you know this, but if you're new to the story, I just want to tell you this is a, a church that has amazing leadership, uh, relational capacity that makes me feel completely inf inferior, but God's dealing with my insecurities uh, in that regard. I, we love them. It's a growing relationship. Uh, which has been over the past couple of years, just want to honor you and say it's beautiful. 20, 21 years of this story, uh, the best is yet to come. I think the best days are ahead. It's absolutely phenomenal just to watch the story unfold from up in Gauteng and see you know, how there was going to double meetings and then more locations and then three locations and then five meetings over the weekend. Um, it, it's absolutely inspiring. There's not many churches that are doing this. And I want to tell you that you are part of an exciting story. This is an, uh, it's a good time. It's a great time to be part of the local church and partner with God as He's impacting the city. Uh, I want to charge you up front, uh, Life Changes Church, with, with a few things this evening. Um, I, I want to charge you because I know you do this already, but I, I want to encourage you to keep being a church that moves towards people's messes. In other words, move towards the brokenness, move, move towards the hurting. I, I want to charge you with that. I want to charge you to be people who carry a message of hope uh, into the places where there's hopelessness. And I, I want to charge you to, to speak a word that empowers people to step out of their past and step into a new future in what, what comes. And I, I don't want to spend too much time talking about the past, but I do want to dig into those things a little bit and, and push you forward, propel you into the future that I believe that God has for you. Because I, I think 21 years, when we talk about the age of a church, that sounds long, like, wow, 21 years, been around. But if you think about 21 years, how many 21 years uh, in the house? Anyone 21 years old? Uh, aside from the front row, okay, a couple of honest people in the house. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Those of you that are 21, you don't think you're old. You, and we think they're young. So 21 years is actually, it's not that much. So that's why I say there is so much more ahead. So let me tell you a little bit about myself. Um, and Amy couldn't be here this evening, but uh, we'll be back here on Friday uh, for the 21st celebration. So excited to be part of that moment. Um, as Mark said, I left the corporate environment. Uh, I'm an engineer. I was in telecoms, but uh, God had different plans uh, for our life and for our journey. And Church leadership was never something on the radar of my life. It was never, you know, what I'd planned. But the thing is that God says in Proverbs 16, verse 9, that uh, we make our plans, but God determines our steps. He orders them. And we actually used to live down here. Can you believe it? Ten years ago, we lived uh, in Century City. My wife used to work at Tigerberg Hospital at the Coral de Toy Center. Uh, I was, our offices were just there. We were living the life. It was great. Um, but our journey with Jesus wasn't at such a level at that point. In fact, we will, I'll tell you a little bit more about it later, but we we're kind of in the back row. Uh, no hating on the back row. Love you guys. But uh, this is what we used to do is we would sneak in late and we would leave early from church and we would always complain whenever the church spoke about money and we would just say, the church just wants your money. And we were kind of in the shadows of church. But there came a moment where God did something significant in my life and he broke some things and he changed some things and started me on a trajectory that looked completely different uh, to what I'd planned. And we moved up to Gauteng for completely selfish reasons. We were chasing, uh, climbing the corporate ladder and making money and all of those things. But God had different plans for us. And a few years into that journey, uh, we connected with Urban Life Church up there, actually looking for friends. And uh, one of those friends is in the house uh, this evening, sitting right here in the front row next to uh, some of my family, which is also really cool. They're part of Life Changes Church here. So I get the inside information of what's going on at Life Changes, not just hearing the highlights from Mark and Candice, but actually, you know, hearing the real story. I want to tell you it's good. Um, but it connected with them into the church, and, and they've just moved down here, by the way. So 10 years uh, later, we, or we moved up there 10 years ago. 10 years later, they moved down here. Um, so we're just you know, into trading players. It's, you know, wh which player do you want? We'll send them, relocate, city. You know, I think God's the one who's doing that, moving us around. But this is the point of this, this story, is, is God always has more for us. If we're willing to just keep showing up, just keep taking a next step, uh, just, and, and I say that because 
We never know what it is that God's got planned, but He's already in the future, and He's seen what's coming. So everything that we go through now is preparing us for what's to come. And I, I want to say that. I want to encourage you as you turn 21, for those of you that are new and joining the story, uh, to get excited and to keep leaning in and to love your leaders and support them. It says in Hebrews 13, verse 17, that you, you know what, and I can tell you this because I'm coming in from the outside, and they may not tell you this, but in Hebrews 13, verse 17, it says, obey your leaders and support Submit to them because they keep watch over your souls and they will give an account for that. And make it a joy for them and don't let them groan because that won't be of an advantage to you. So actually, it's in your good interest to obey and submit to your leaders and love them. And they're amazing. I think it should be easy to do that. I want to encourage you and charge you, church, to keep doing that. Now, let, let me come back to a little bit about my family. Amy's uh, not here, as I said. She was preaching at home uh, today, this morning at Urban Life Centurion, and she's a champion. We've got three little kids. I think we've got a photo somewhere of the family. Let's see if it pops up uh, in just a bit. Anyway, she's, um, are any single parents in the house? Over there is a nervous hand. I, I just want to celebrate you and say you are an absolute champion, and I'll tell you why. I, I'll tell you why, because... Uh, two weeks back, my wife went down to Anthem Church to their sisterhood thing there with uh, Jackie, and uh, we're all for relationship, and that was fantastic. We're supporting that. The problem was it left me alone with the kids for two nights and three days. And I emphasize that. Three days and two nights, I had the kids. They're still alive, but it, it, I, I, this is what I did. I put my youngest son's blanket into my daughter's school bag and sent her to school with that. So she got a surprise, and he was full of tears because he couldn't find his blanket. I put the cereal in the fridge. I, I hung the one tracksuit and the other one's cupboard, and then he got shouted at because he's lost his tracksuit. Meanwhile, I was the one that put it in the cupboard in the wrong place. I was so glad that my wife came home. I was like, yeah, you're amazing. <laughs> So I just want to honor your single parents. I don't know how you do it. So she's at home this weekend with the three kids and preaching double meeting, and she's just going for it, and she's owning it, and she's a champion. But I say that uh, because it, one of the things that I learned about that and just felt God stir something in my heart is when you walk in somebody else's shoes, it gives you a little bit of a different perspective to what their story is. And I think far too often what can happen is we come to church with the attitude of going, you don't know what it's like to walk in my shoes. How can you stand up there and tell me about this and that when you are not actually walking in my shoes? You're not walking my story out. You haven't survived what I've survived. You haven't felt the hurts that I've hurt. You haven't felt the pain that I've felt. You, you can't just tell me it's all going to be okay because you're not in my shoes. And I, I want to acknowledge that and tell you, yes, I'm not in your shoes. And I may not know what it's like. And I may not have felt the hurts and cried the tears. And I may not have seen what happened in that moment. But I do want to tell you that there is one who knows. And there is one who sees. And there is one who cares about you and knows the details of your story. And I want to encourage you, if you are in that place where you're going, you don't know what it feels like. I want to dig into a story from John chapter 5 this evening. And it's one of those stories that Tyler was speaking about when Jesus goes somewhere that he didn't have to go. So let's... Let's turn to John 5. Will, will it come up on the screen? John chapter, it'll be easy. Okay, that'll, that'll suit me better. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So this was one of these moments where he didn't really have to go up there. Now, in, there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda. It means the house of mercy or the house of kindness, and it has five roofed colonnades. And in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. And one man who had been an invalid for 38 years was there. So what, what I want you to have in your minds is a picture of a whole lot of people gathered around the pool. But it's not the picture of a whole lot of people on Camps Bay Beach or Clifton Beach in their Fuff Duplessis Speedos or their bikinis, you know, just lounging about, enjoying the weather next to the side of the pool. That's not the idea. The picture that you need to have in your mind is this. This is kind of the worst of the worst of hospitals where there's people that are crying out in pain, that are desperate, that are broken, that can't move themselves around. I would imagine it would have been dirty. It would have been smelly. This would be a place that would not be on the top 10 places to visit when you go to Jerusalem list. 
this would be a place that I think most of us in the room would probably rather avoid than move towards because it would just be really uncomfortable to see all these people lying in their pain and in their brokenness. Some of, their, some of them been there in the state for years and years and years. 38 years is significant because it's longer than the average life expectancy of the time. So it's making a point. This guy that's been there for 38 years, he's been there for longer than most people have been alive. And Jesus goes towards the place that most of us would avoid. Verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he'd already been there a long time, he said to him, he said to him, do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him, so I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up and while I'm going another steps down before me. You see what was going on in this time is there was a, there was a belief and some say it was a superstitious belief that when the waters became a whirlpool, what would happen is there was like a, there, there was a mass rush to try and get into the water because the belief was whoever got into the water first might have a chance of being healed. Think Black Friday on steroids. People are waiting for the shops to open and the doors open and there's a mad rush to who can get there first. This was the belief at the time of all these sick people, these broken people, this, the people that are in desperation. Let's be honest, I think people who had the attitude, this is where hope goes to die, they're waiting by the water's edge just in case something happens and the water begins to move. And if the water begins to move, what happens is the selfishness comes out, the ugly comes out, the striving comes out, the I push in front of you, I cut you off, I'm going first comes out. Why? Because I want to get my healing. There's a chance that if I get in the water first, I can break out of this place. I can, maybe, maybe this time, in the first time in 38 years, maybe something will change. If I can just get to the water first, and there's pushing, and there's shoving. I mean, you can just picture it. It must have been chaos. And some say it could have been a subterranean spring that bubbled up and moved the waters. And other commentators say, actually, it was a money-making scheme. And they had actors who pretended to be sick, who would jump in the water and then say, I'm healed. Does it sound like anything that we see today? It's been going on since back then. It's a, it, it, was, it was where the world was looking for the hope of healing, putting their faith in just a possibility that if the, move, if the waters move, and if I get there first, maybe, just maybe, things will change in my life. It, maybe if I try a little harder this time, I won't come second, I'll come first and I'll get out of here. Maybe if I put a little bit more effort in, maybe if I strive a little more, I will be able to get into the water first. And there's hundreds of these people waiting just in case the water moves. Jesus comes in, he says, do you want to be healed? The guy says, there's, there, I... I I'm an invalid. I can't move myself, and I haven't got anyone to help put me into the water. And someone else just pushes in front of me, and then Jesus says to him, get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. And now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to take up your bed. After 38 years of lying there, the, the religious people come to him, and they say, hey, you can't do that. You put your bed down. There's no one celebrating that this guy's walking for the first time in 38 years. You can't carry your bed because it's the day of rest. Isn't it amazing how legalism always focuses on what we can't do and the restrictions and the limitations? But God focuses on the freedom and the liberation of our souls. And I, I want to charge you, Life Changes Church, to be a people who doesn't focus on the things you can't do, but stands for the things that you can do because of the freedom that Christ brings into our life. Put your bed down. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, well, who's the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? And the man who'd been healed did not know it was Jesus, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. And afterward, Jesus found him in the temple. I, I want to tell you something. If, if God has done, I think there's someone in the room tonight, God has done something in your life and you feel like you've lost sight of Jesus. I want to tell you, Jesus has not lost sight of you. God has done something in your life before. I don't know what it was, but there was a moment like this man, he came in and he did something drastic in your life and you're like, I don't know what happened in that moment. And something happened and then it was like a crowd came and you don't know where Jesus went. But when you are found amongst the people of God, when you are found within the temple, you got to know that God is close to you and he sees you. Jesus came to him and he found him in the temple and he said, see you are well. 
You are, you've been brought from the outside into the inside, and he says, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jews it was Jesus who had healed him, and this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath, on the day of rest. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. So, someone should write a song about that. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Mm, mm. Somebody did. Somebody did. Front rows with me this evening. I love it that the redemption work of God does not keep office hours. That it's not like Monday to Friday, 8 till 5. It's 366 days a year, this year, 24-7. Even when we don't see it, God is working. The redemptive work of God is always in progress. And some of you are here this evening because God is doing something in your hearts. And I believe that He wants to, like He said to this man, get up, take your bed and walk. I believe that some of you are going to do some getting up out of the situations that you've been stuck in for a very, very, very long time this evening. And I, I want to show you the irony in the story is while there's a whole lot of people that are in this place and they're literally waiting for a whirlpool to begin moving in the water so that they can break out of their circumstances. The problem is that they are stuck themselves in a whirlpool of waiting for something to change. They're stuck in this place of waiting for something to happen. They're stuck in a place on the off chance that if the waters begin to move and if I put in enough effort and if everything goes right, then maybe just maybe things will change. Maybe just just maybe I will be able to break out of this situation. They're stuck in a whirlpool. The title of the message this evening is The Whirlpool and the Word. You see, the definition of a whirlpool is a mass of rotating water that draws objects in and holds them, and it's usually caused by conflicting currents. Can I say a whirlpool is a, is a mass of rotating emotions and forces that draws us in and holds us in a place, and it's usually caused by conflicting opinions, emotions, circumstances, things that have happened to us. And, and these guys lying around the pool, these people around the pool, they, they're stuck in a whirlpool of waiting, but into the whirlpool comes the Word. See, John 1.14 says that the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Jesus is the Word. He's the living Word of God. And when we hear and see the voice of God, what happens is the faith rises in us because faith comes from hearing and hearing the Word of Christ. So when the Word comes into the whirlpool, that's the moment when things begin to change. It doesn't come from a place of self-effort. It doesn't come from a place of doing what the world says. You've got to get into the whirlpool when the waters start bubbling. What Psalm 23 says is the Lord will lead me beside quiet waters and He will restore my soul. I don't need the waters to move to be healed by Jesus. Actually, I need to follow Him into the place of quiet and that's where He'll restore my soul. While the world is waiting for the waters to bubble, Jesus says, come to the quiet waters and this is where your soul will be restored. I want to ask you this evening, what's the whirlpool that you are stuck in? I know I've got some whirlpools in my life. I've had some whirlpools, but I've also had some word moments where God has broken me out of the whirlpool. And that gives me faith and courage to tell you that if you're stuck in a whirlpool this evening, the word can come into that context, into the whirlpool, and break you free. You see, the way out of the whirlpool is the word. It's not waiting for the waters to bubble like the world says. And too often we look at what culture says and what the people say and what the public opinion says. And let's be honest, we're in, a, we're in a culture where people love to give opinions and don't like to listen to the Word of God. And what is valued is opinion and not listening. But we listen and look for the, world, the Word who comes into the whirlpool and, and He's the one who breaks us out of the whirlpool. What, what's your whirlpool? Maybe your whirlpool is one of being stuck in relationship after dysfunctional relationship after dysfunctional relationship after dysfunctional relationship and you think, well, maybe this time it's going to be different. Maybe this time, if, if I just try a little harder, if I just put in a little more effort, maybe this time things will be different. But what happens is you walk around and around. And did you know the 38 years, some commentators say that 38 years represents the 38 years that the Israelites spent walking around and around the mountain in the wilderness. It's stuck in a whirlpool. You're stuck in a whirlpool. Maybe, maybe yours is, maybe your whirlpool is, is something in your life where you've said to yourself, I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to go there again. I'm never going to say that again. I'm never going to think that again. But what happens is it, it goes right for a, a few short days and, and then you mess up 
and, and you're, you're back in the whirlpool and you're stuck and you're kind of lying by the pool and you're hoping and you're trusting for some healing to come, for some breakthrough to come. And you're like, maybe now, maybe if I just strive a little more, maybe if I just push in front, you know, maybe if, if my ugly self comes out and I get there first, maybe, maybe, just, maybe then I'll be able to break free, free from this whirlpool. Maybe, maybe your whirlpool is one of, I, I don't know, maybe it's one of depression. Maybe it's one of a spirit of heaviness. Maybe what's holding you back? Because I know if you're anything like me, there's probably something in your life where you go, this area, this insecurity, this thing, this offense, this unforgiveness, this bitterness, this something is holding me back. Maybe it's a sin pattern in your life. Let me help someone this evening. This is what happens with sin, is sin comes towards us and there's a temptation. In a moment of weakness, we give in to the temptation and then watch what happens. You give in to temptation. What follows temptation is guilt. And when you feel guilty, what happens is over time that guilt grows into shame. And when you feel shameful, what you don't want to be is around people. So you isolate yourself. And when you isolate yourself, you get lonely on the inside while things look good on the outside. And when you're lonely on the inside, what happens is you want to escape the feelings. And the way that you escape the feelings is you give in to temptation. And when you give in to temptation, then you feel guilty. And then you feel shame again. Because you feel shame, you isolate yourself further. And then you get lonely. And because you're lonely, you try to escape. So you go back to the TV, back to the alcohol, back to the drugs, back to the sex, back to whatever it is, because you just can't, you want to escape the feelings on the inside, so what happens is you give in again to the temptation, you give in to the temptation, you feel guilty, you feel shame, do you see that we can be stuck in a whirlpool? And the way out of the whirlpool is not through self-effort. It's not through trying to get to the front of the queue. It's not through pushing in front of others. It's not waiting for what the world said is going to happen. It's not to pay someone money. The way out of the whirlpool is wait for the word. Because the word is the one who breaks you out of the whirlpool. I, w- I want to help you this evening by telling you this, and it's the charge that I gave to you, Life Changes Church, is this, is that the word moves towards people's mess. The word moves towards your brokenness. The word moves towards your whirlpool. The word moves towards wherever you may be stuck this evening. The word moves towards you. Let's be honest in that what we read when we got the picture in mind, I think most of us are going like, I'm not, I'm not so sure I want to go to the pool of Bethesda. I wouldn't like to be around that place. There's sick people and they're, they're coughing and they're, you know, they're lying around in there. Oh, just like, I don't want to go there, but this is what Jesus does. He doesn't have to go there, but that's where he goes. He goes to the brokenness. He moves towards it. Let me tell you something. Your weakness, the, the weakest area in your life is like a magnet for God's grace. That's what Paul says. It's, it's when he is weak, I'm made strong. Our weakness, our brokenness, it attracts the grace of God. God moved towards that place. And what the enemy says is cover it up, hide it, put a fig leaf over it. God says, I'm coming. I'm coming. This is, this is what you need to hear this evening is that, is that God knows your story. He sees the details. He sees you in the crowd and he moves towards your brokenness. This is what Jesus does amongst a crowd of people. Why does he go to the one? Why does he go to the one that's been there for 38 years? Because you've been there long as you should be at the front of the queue. I'm going to. I think the point that he's making is the one matters to me. The one matters to me because this is the thing. You can come into church and say, Gareth, you don't know what it's like to be in my shoes. And I go, you're right. I don't know what it's like. But Jesus knows. And he moves towards you. He comes towards you. The, the word moves towards your brokenness. He, he moves towards your mess. He, he moves towards the lowest of the low and the worst of the worst. He moves towards it. And here's the charge for the church if you follow Jesus. Because if you don't or if you're in a place of brokenness, you've got to know that God moves towards you. But for the church, the word says that we are the hands and feet of Jesus. Therefore, my charge to you is to move towards the mess. And I know you do that, life changes, and we celebrate that. But keep doing it. Keep going towards the brokenness. Keep moving towards the need. Because if we don't move towards the need, what we do is we move towards our comfort. Move towards the need. And let people know that God sees them. God knows the details of the story. sees them in the crowd, and He moves towards them. And did you know that John 15, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, hey, I don't call you servants anymore, but I call you friends. And because you're my friends, I'll tell you what the Father is up to. I'll tell you what the Father is doing. When we are close to Jesus, 
Jesus can tell us what the Father is up to. And the way that He does this sometimes is He gives us words of encouragement for people. He gives us pictures for people. I don't know if you've ever had a moment like that where you share something with someone and it just has such a profound impact on them. And you thought like, I thought I just had too much coffee. And meanwhile, like their life is busy changing. Why? Because God has used you to speak through you to them. So two weeks ago, we had the privilege of having Mark up with us at Urban Life Midrand uh, to bring a couple onto our eldership team there. And it was a beautiful moment. It, it was one of those moments where heaven met earth and the presence of God was there and there was emotion and tears and Mark did phenomenally and he preached and explained the moment about leadership. And then it came to the ordination moment. And, and you guys, you know this guy, but he, he arrived onto stage with like a mountain of gifts for them. I mean, it, was a, it, was, it was a mountain of gifts. And, and he's talking and he said, well, I felt like God said to me, I, I must buy you these new, new balance shoes, like new balance for a new season. And he's like, I'm going to go get you these faith, face cloths so that you can wash the dirt off people like you, Jesus washes. I don't know, I can't remember, something like it. And then, and then I've got this perfume like for your house so that it's fragrance and all these things. I'm just going like, and the reason why I'm standing on the side going, oh boy, is because Craig, who leads Urban Life, the church, he said to me, hey, Gareth, would you get Warren and Lauren some gifts? You're good at buying gifts. And I'm like, um, I'm not sure about that. I think you don't, just don't want to do it. So, but okay, I'll do it. So this is what I did. Like super spiritual, I said, God, what should I get them? And it was almost in that moment, I felt like a multi-tool and a lemon tree. I was like, okay, let's roll with this. So I went to build this warehouse, and there was one multi-tool left of the picture that I had in my mind. So I thought, this must be it. This must be the word of the Lord to me. So I got the multi-tool, and it had 55 pieces in now, if you're into biblical numerology, what five means is grace. So this is like grace beyond grace, John 1, 16. I'm like, this has got to be the Holy Spirit. So I buy the tool and I take it home. And then on the way, I stop at the garden center and I get a lemon tree. And I'm trying to figure this one out. And I remember that lemon tree is something that bears fruit in every season. So I'm like, well, that sounds kind of spiritual. They're going to be a couple who bears fruit in every season as they go forward in the ministry using their multi-tool uh, with the Grace Beyond Grace pieces to, you know, build the church. So Mark takes up all the time with all his gifts. It's phenomenal. And then it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, and we've got you some gifts. Now, I'm, honestly, I'm feeling so lame now because they've got like 20 presents from him. And I've got lemon tree and a little multi-tool here, so... It's the end of the meeting. We've got to get back to Centurion across town for the start of the next meeting. So kind of rushing the moment. I was like, hey, guys, we got you this multi-tool because, you know, building the church and grace beyond grace and all these kind of things. And I'm like, okay, cool. Put it behind Mark's presence. And then I pulled the lemon tree out. And, and I pulled the lemon tree out. And I, was, and I say, and I got you a lemon tree because lemon tree, build, you know, bears fruit in every season you're going to be. And while I'm talking, I don't realize that they've suddenly both started bawling. Like the floodgates have opened. And I turn around and put the lemon tree down in front of them. And I look at them. And they're both crying. I'm like, what did I do? <laughs> and only later, because we had to rush off and, and leave that moment. But later did I hear the story how God had weaved the story of a lemon tree into their journey and into their marriage. And I think it was just a small moment where God was telling them through me humbly, like just getting a lemon tree, God was saying, I see you and I'm with you and I know the details of your story. So I tell you that to say, when you have a picture, when you have a word for someone, don't hold back, share it. It may just be, take someone with you and say, hey, I just feel like this could be a word for you. Take someone with you and, and be there and just encourage them and say, does this mean anything to you? Go out on a limb. Just take a step of faith because it may change someone's trajectory of their life when they know God actually cares cares about me. Is there anyone in the, in the room called Carol this evening? Caroline. Okay, I'm not going to get weird about this, but if you're there and you didn't put your hand up, you come talk to me afterwards because I believe God has something for you. Um, and that's just kind of like going out on a limb and going like, hey, maybe it is. Maybe, maybe it's me. Maybe it's God. But I'm willing to take the chance and look like a fool just in case it may change something in somebody's life. God moves towards the mess. The word moves towards the mess. I want to encourage you to be people, if you follow Jesus, who move towards people's brokenness. It's the greatest privilege that we have to walk with people in their pain, even though it may be tough. It's a great privilege that we have to be able to do that and, and the word it carries a message of hope Jesus says to the guy do you want to be healed what kind of question is that 
He's been there for 38 years. But you see, Hebrews 4.12 says that the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It discerns between soul and spirit, between bone and marrow. Like, the point is this. It gets to the point. The Word of God opens up some things and discerns, reveals the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And Jesus' question in this, it, it reveals some things. The first thing it reveals is Jesus wants to be invited into your story, but He's not going to force Himself into your life story. Do you want to be healed? He doesn't say, I'm here to heal you, stand up. He says, do, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? I believe that for many of you here this evening, Jesus is standing and he's saying, do you want breakthrough? Do you want to be healed? I, I'm not going to push my way into your life, but I'm here. Do, do you want it? And the second thing about the question is some of the commentators say that the way this question is phrased, it's written in a tense, meaning it's already accomplished. So it, I could rephrase the question like this. Do you want to be healed because it's already accomplished? Do you want to take a hold of the healing that I've already accomplished for you? Does this sound familiar to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you want to walk in freedom because I've already paid the full price on the cross for you to do that? Do, do, you, want, do you want eternal life because I've already accomplished it on the cross? Everything is finished. My work on the cross was complete. It's already done. Do you want to take a hold of it? I believe that we can respond to that question, do you want to be healed, in, in four different ways. I, I think the first thing that we can say, and this may not be such an obvious one, but honestly, I think sometimes we say this. Do you want to be healed? No. It's bad, but at least it's familiar. And sometimes Jesus offers us healing. He offers us a way out from the whirlpool, but we just go, it's chaos, but I, I'm kind of used to it. So I, I'm a little scared of change. So I, I'm, I'm nervous if things are going to be different. So actually, Jesus, no, thank you. I'm, I don't want to be healed. Or, or we can say, like this guy did, and his answer reveals a whole lot of unbelief in his heart. It, it, it reveals some limited thinking to me. He doesn't say, yes, Jesus, I want to be healed. He starts telling Jesus why he can't be healed. He says, Jesus, in, in my abilities, in my self-effort, I've come second my whole life. So why, you know, why are you even asking me if I can be healed? Because the healing has got to take place in the water. What he's doing with his answer is, is he's limiting the potential of the work of God in his life. He's thinking that the work of God has to happen in a specific way, at a specific time, at a specific place, in, in a specific moment. And I think sometimes we can, if Jesus comes, he says, do you want to be healed? And we start telling him all about our limitations. We start telling him all the reasons of why we can't get into the pool of healing. Jesus didn't ask the guy, why haven't you got in the pool yet? He said, why do you want to be healed? And sometimes we interpret that question as, why haven't you done it yourself yet? Because we feel like we need to clean ourselves up a little bit, uh, you know, before Jesus brings any healing is, is heal ourselves. But Mark chapter 2 verse 17 says, the sick that need a doctor, not the well. You see, I, I think it's a little like a gift voucher. I think this is what the gospel, and, and this is an imperfect analogy, but it, it's a little bit like a gift voucher, which I already bought today and have paid for. But if I asked you, do you want the gift voucher? You can answer this by saying, no, I don't want the gift voucher. Or you can tell me like, why you're not good enough to have the gift voucher. Or you can say, yes, I would like the gift voucher. Yes, I would like the healing. Yes, I would like Jesus, the abundant life, John 10, 10, that you promised. I would like that. Let me take a hold of the gift voucher and let me put it in my pocket. Anyone ever had a gift voucher in your wallet, in your pocket, that either got lost or expired before you used it? Thank you, Mark. I think that sometimes, do you know that Ephesians... 1 verse 3 and 4 says that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. We have been blessed. And I think sometimes what we do is we take the blessings that we receive from God and we just put them in our pocket. We go, well, I've got the credit, but we never actually live in the abundant life that God has got for us. Galatians 5.1 says it's for freedom that we have been set free. And sometimes we understand we're free from the penalty of sin by Christ's work on the cross, but still we're stuck in a whirlpool of the power of sin in our lives. And Jesus says, do, do you want to be healed? Do you want to walk in the abundant life? I've already paid for it. Do you want to take hold of it? I'm not just going to drop and leave it. I want you to take it from me. Will you take it and will you begin to apply it in your life? 
Will you be a people, Life Changes Church, that carries a message of hope to the desperate and broken and say, Jesus has already done everything for you. Will you take a hold of it? Can I serve as the hands and feet of Jesus into your story and bring a message of hope and tell you Jesus has already finished the work. He's already accomplished the healing. Will you take a hold of it and begin to walk in the fullness of what he has done for you? And the word comes into the story and empowers the man to walk out of his past and into a brand new future. This is what the word does. When we're stuck in a whirlpool is the word comes into our lives, cuts off the past and breaks open the future. The word of God empowers us to be able to do that. He, this is what Jesus says to him. Do you remember what he says? He, he says, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And I want to show you what happens if we can get verse 8 and verse 9 of John chapter 5 up on the screen. Look between verse 8 and verse 9 what happens. Let me read it to you. And Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed, and walk. So the guy started to you know, live a better life. He started to clean himself up a little bit. He tried a little harder. And after he'd done a whole bunch of things, at that point, he was healed and he took up his bed and walked. It, it doesn't say that. What it says is, Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed because the healing was already accomplished. The God just had to begin to walk in it. And when the word of God comes into our lives and we put faith in that, the faith comes from hearing the word of God. Faith moves us to action that only makes sense in, term, in light of the future that God has promised to us. This is a crazy faith moment where God says, get up. Can you imagine after being lying on a, on a mat, and I've got this fantastic because I don't have an ancient, uh, you know, mat from the pool of Bethesda. I have a purple yoga mat here, and we're not going to do yoga lessons. Don't worry about that. But the point I want to make, and maybe let me hold it this way, is that this was the extent of his existence for 38 years. This was his reality. This is all he knew for 38 years. And we don't know what got him there for 38 years, but for 38 years, this was his story. This was the story he was carried on every day. This was his limitations. This was his boundary. This was his trap. This is where he was stuck. He was next to the whirlpool, but actually he was, he was on this mat. And he was stuck on this mat, and he couldn't get off. And Jesus comes into his whirlpool and says, Do you want, do you want to be healed? You, and he starts telling him about Jesus, I've just come second. I've tried, I, but I always come second. I always come second. He said, I, I've already accomplished the healing for you. And he said, get up. Could you imagine in that moment as he's lying there, 38 years, and Jesus says, get up. And there's such authority in the word of God that comes. There's such authority that something begins to happen in his bones that is literally his legs begin to strengthen. And in that moment, he rises up. Could you imagine the shout that comes out of him as the power of God courses through his body, bringing healing into his situation? And he can't believe it, but Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, get up. And then he says, take up your bed. And I always thought that was kind of weird. Why is Jesus saying, is it because Jesus wants to keep the pool neat for the other people? I'm going like, it's still a mess. What's he on about? I think this is the point. I think when Jesus says, get up, what he wants us to do is take the trap that we were trapped on and let it become a testimony of what he has done in our lives. So he says, take up your bed. And the guy begins to roll his bed up. And as he folds and rolls his bed up, he's standing and he's shaking and he takes his bed up. And the story that he was carried in on for 38 years becomes a story that he carries. And he says, this is what God has done in my life. What he was trapped in becomes his testimony that he carries. And here's what happens when you become to, when Jesus does something in your life and you begin to pick your testimony up and you carry it with you, the first thing that happens is people come up and tell you, you can't carry that testimony. Put it down. It's the Sabbath. We don't want to hear about what God has done in your life. We don't care about the healing. You're breaking the rules. You can't live in the fullness of the abundant life that Jesus has won for you because there's some rules to keep. You should know better than that. I think it's time for people to get up, to take up the testimony of your past and to carry it. So it's not a trailer that drags behind you, but it's actually something that you hold up and you declare, this is where I was and I'm not where I should be, but I'm sure as heck on the journey. And Jesus says, walk it out. 
walk it out. I love the fact that as he carries his mat, he encounters the religious leaders, but then Jesus finds him in the temple, finds him in the house of God. That means for me that this guy was living in an attitude of worship and he went from a place of brokenness into the temple with his hands held high and hearts full of faith. You see, the word of God came into his life and brought him from outside the house into the house because before he was healed, he could never go into the temple. So God brings the healing and the first thing he does, he goes into the temple to give praise to God for what he's done. I think sometimes God does things in our lives and we get spiritual amnesia and we're not inside the temple with our hands held high because we've forgotten of what, what God has done because we've dropped our testimonies. And I believe that it's time for those of us who have stories to begin telling how God has broken us out of whirlpool after whirlpool because it puts faith in the hearts of others to hear stories. Be a church that tells the stories of what God has done. Be a church that's in the temple with your hands held high and hearts full of faith saying, God's done it for me. He can do it for you too. I've seen him do it. He's going to do it again. He's been doing it for 21 years in this church. He's going to carry on doing it for a whole lot of time. Let's pick our testimonies up and let's tell the stories of what God has done in our lives. Jesus comes to him and he says, Go well. Don't sin anymore so that nothing worse may happen to you. I think the point that Jesus was making here is, there's a physical healing that's taking place, but actually the reason for your healing is about your holiness. And I tell you that because there are people in the room that are trusting for physical healing and they're going, if God could do it for that guy, could he do it for me? And I want to say, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, he absolutely can. But if he doesn't, what I want you to hold on to and what I want you to know is that this story is about your holiness. It's about your spiritual healing. This whole story is a picture of us lying in our spiritual brokenness next to the pool, trying to solve the problem ourselves, waiting, waiting, waiting while the word is there saying, I've already paid the price. Do you want to take a hold? of it and when we stand up we begin to walk it out and we tell the testimonies and the stories of what God has done in our lives in the temple amongst the people of God giving him praise it tells him this is about your holiness there's a bigger picture there's a bigger story of Jerusalem means the city of peace Bethesda means the house of kindness or the house of mercy. And the five colonnades, these represent, most commentators say, the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, the scriptures, if you will. There's a word picture here which is significant for us to understand this, that you can be next to the pool of kindness, you can be next to the pool of mercy for a very long time. You can be in the city of peace, you can be covered by the scriptures, yet you can be broken and unable to find healing. In other words, you can be in the right place for a long time, broken, disabled, feeling like a failure, feeling like you can't find breakthrough, striving, trying, trying to push in front of the others, desperate. You can be in that place for a very long time and nothing changes and you keep trying yourself and you keep trying, you're striving and, and you maybe this time, maybe this time and it goes on year after year and you're stuck in the whirlpool but you're in the right place but what it takes is the word to come in. And when the word comes in, things begin to change. Only when the word comes into our world, I want to tell you that if you feel far from God tonight, God's not far from you. Jesus comes and, and he finds you. You can be in church for a very long time and miss an encounter with Jesus if you're not looking for it. I want to tell you Jesus is here and, and he wants to encounter you. He wants to change lives this evening. I believe it. I, I can feel it. I believe God wants to bring healing in this house tonight. I believe that many of you have been struggling, maybe not for 38 years. Some of you aren't even 20, but... God wants to do something for those of us that have been stuck in places for a long time. I don't know what it is. Depression, addiction, physical sickness, spiritual sickness, emotional unforgiveness, bitterness. I believe in a moment, if you will get up, if you will get up and begin to take up your story and walk it out, I believe God will meet you where you're at because He moves to what's the best. I believe God's doing something significant in this moment. And you, some of you are going to walk out here different and you were carried in by a story and you're going to carry your story out tonight and you're going to say this is what God did for me on the 8th of March 2020 God did something in my life some of you would have never seen it coming because that was my story I never saw it coming when I went to high school first, first few weeks of standard 6 I 
came from a country primary school. I went to high school in the big city. I was exposed to pornography. I was disgusted by it, but something happened in my mind. And it kicked off, it triggered an addiction to pornography in my life that lasted over 12 years. A secret addiction. Lasted through varsity and entered the first few years of my marriage. My wife never knew. We've worked it through and she knows now, but there was, a, there was a secret part of me, and I feel like some of you, know, you, some of you that are here this evening, you know what it's like to have a secret part of you that no one knows about. And you put on a brave face, and you pretend that everything's right, but you've got something in your life that's there that's a whirlpool that's holding you, and when you're alone, it's there, and you can go round and round the cycle. And I tried for 12 years to break free of it because I could feel in me this is not right. That no matter what culture says, no matter what the stats are, I could feel there's something that's not right. So I would escape with drinking alcohol. Now, our biggest thing at university and at high school was to see how much we could drink, to escape the feelings of guilt and shame. And, and I, we started going to church. And in, in that moment, I thought, well, maybe if I just keep going to church, maybe things will change. But the thing is, I was in the city of peace next to the house of kindness but I was broken and I couldn't find healing and I hadn't learned yet that vulnerability was the biggest form of courage. I didn't know that yet. I thought courage was not to tell anyone about your problems and your brokenness. But the thing is, when you begin to be vulnerable, and that's when Jesus comes in. He's waiting to be invited in. And I prayed different prayers and I tried hard and tried different things and, and, and it always failed, it always failed. But there, there came a moment where we got connected into a church across town that was the beginning of our journey and was through a, a life group and then Eventually, the relationship started to build, and over time, our, our connection to the church built. And, and then there came a moment, which is a baptism Sunday. My wife and I, we looked at each other and said, maybe it's time to take a step of faith. And, you know, just, we knew about Jesus. We didn't really know Jesus. We thought, well, maybe this is a moment. Just, maybe, maybe we should do this. So we went to a pool across in Claremont at somebody's house and after church, and, and we got baptized together. And I didn't know it at the time. I never saw it coming. But what happened is I went into the water and as I came up, the addiction broke and it was left at the bottom of the pool and never came back. That was 10 years ago. And in a moment of obedience to what Jesus said, because baptism is a step of obedience, in a moment I found the breakthrough. I wasn't looking for it. I didn't know it was coming. I was just coming up with all the reasons of why it couldn't come. And in that moment, God restored, He healed, He lifted the shame and the guilt and the cycles were broken and everything else with it. And He started transformation work in my life. And I tell you that to say, to let you know that I was in a whirlpool, but the word, the word came into my whirlpool. And He's begun to do a work in me that I would have never imagined, that I never saw coming, that I never planned. I want to ask you to stand. I want to call you to respond. Can I, I do that, Mark? Is that... I don't, I don't need to know what the details of your whirlpools are. In a, in a room of this size, I can imagine there's some pretty scary ones. And here's the thing, you always think that you have one that's worse than the person next to you. Let me tell you, I've been in church leadership for a while. We've all got issues. We are all broken. We've all got stuff that God wants to deal with. But there is something about being a little vulnerable and taking a step of faith. Just as we go into this moment, I'm going to pray and here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm not going to ask you to come up and tell everybody what your stuff is. I, I just, I want to ask you to take a step of faith like Jesus said to this guy, get up, take up your mat and walk. I want to ask you to get up. You've already done that. But literally take up the testimony of your past, what has been your trap. Let it become a testimony and walk it out and walk it out in this way. Just come up to the front. Just slip out of your row wherever you may be standing. Don't worry about the people around you. This could be your moment. This could be the moment that you've been waiting for for years and 38 years. We're going to create some space and I'm going to pray. And as I begin to pray, would you begin to move in faith and trust that God does something in your life and brings about a change and brings about a breakthrough? Maybe something you thought you could never be free of when you walked in here this evening. This is the moment where the word comes in in authority and says, get up, take up your mat, and begin to walk it out. So as I begin to pray, if I'm speaking to you, would you in a step of faith, just begin to move forward and maybe some of the leaders here can be ready to pray with you and for you. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are here. 
just as Jesus was in person, then you are here, you are in this room, and thank you that you are inviting, you're waiting to be invited into our stories, and as many of us, all of us are stuck in different areas of our lives, whether it's stuck in depression, whether it's stuck in anxiety, whether it's stuck in in cycles of fear, whether it's stuck in cycles of addiction, whether it's stuck in uh, cycles of sexual immorality or pornography or or alcohol or, or just things that we cannot break free of, where we're stuck in cycles of hurt and relationships and unforgiveness and bitterness. God, you know the details. You know the details. All of you that have come up to the front, just just look at me for a moment. Just look at me for a moment. I don't need to know the details, but I want to tell you this. God knows the details of your stories. He knows the details. He knows the hurt. He knows the pain. He knows the struggles. He knows, he knows, he knows, he knows. And, and it's not he just, he knows about it, but actually he's moved with compassion. You see, empathy is just caring about it, but compassion is beginning to do something about it. I believe in this moment, the Holy Spirit is starting to do something in this room. I, I, want, I want you to... Just between you and God, would you begin to name whatever it is that you're struggling with? It doesn't have to be loud. You don't have to shout it out. But just, he already knows the details. But whatever it is that you're struggling with, just go, God, this is, this is what it is. This is what it is. Just name it. Name it. Whatever it is. Anger, frustration, addiction, whatever it may be. God, as these things are named and as these burdens are laid down, May they not be picked up again in terms of a weight or a trap or a trailer of the past baggage, but rather as a testimony of your goodness and what you've done. May we see from this moment as you come to work here, Holy Spirit, that may we see many testimonies and God's stories of, of healing and breakthrough of people being set free from whirlpools, wherever they may be stuck, wherever. God, thank you for your compassion and mercy that comes alongside people and says, I've already paid everything. I've already done everything for you to walk in freedom. Would you put courage in these hearts to begin to walk this out? The reality of it. May, would you lift your hands, all of you that are here up front, and if, you, if you're in the back and you want to be part of this moment, but you haven't stepped out of your chair, would you just lift your hands in faith as well and begin to praise God for the work that He's already accomplished on the cross. I want you to begin to believe it. I want you to begin to believe it, to believe that God has already brought the breakthrough, that you already begin to see the healing and to live in the reality of it. And be warned, here's what's going to happen. You don't have to be scared of this, but just be aware it's coming is the enemy will come alongside you and say, no, no, put your testimony down. God hasn't brought the breakthrough. He hasn't healed you. He hasn't done it. But I want to tell you the same Jesus that was in the story of John 5 is the same Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit that's in the room this evening and he can bring healing and he is bringing healing and he is bringing breakthrough. Jesus for your healing power. Thank you Jesus for your mercy. Thank you Jesus for your compassion. Thank you Jesus that you hijacked this moment to bring about your will in people's lives. Thank you God that that in this moment heaven is coming to earth and, and lives are being changed. Thank you Jesus that you are punching holes in the darkness and the darkness will not overcome the light. Thank you God for restored relationships. God thank you for healed hurts. God, thank you for chains that have been broken this evening in a moment of vulnerability and courage. Thank you, God, that you are working here. I pray that as we, as we continue in this moment, that you begin to just uncover some things, Holy Spirit, that you want to deal with amongst us. Thank you, Jesus, for your compassion, for your mercy.